It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Welcome to the program. For some time, I have been giving arguments for the existence of God. I have expanded the Kalam argument for about the beginning of the universe to obtain a proof that the God of the Bible is identical to the first cause of the universe. I've also given expanded versions of the design and the moral arguments for the existence of God. The arguments from reason form a whole new category of arguments different from my own arguments, those of Thomas Aquinas' Five Ways, and those of William Lane Craig, Frank Turek, or other Christian apologists. Usually, these arguments from reason seek to approach the question of God's existence from a new direction. Instead of providing evidence that theism, the belief in God, is true, these arguments provide evidence that atheism itself is either false or empty of rationality. However, despite our differences of opinion, there is one thing that theists and atheists agree upon. Both agree that reason, when used properly, should lead to conclusions that correspond to reality. In other words, if the argument is sound, it will not lead one to a conclusion today and a different conclusion tomorrow or the next time I hear the argument. We assume that when reason is used properly, arguments can be trusted. In the last episode, I gave an argument from reason against naturalism by Alvin Plantinga, originally given in 1993 in his book, Warrant and Proper Function. His argument is given in terms of the reliability of our faculty of reasoning to give truth. He argued, if you believe that naturalism and evolution are true, then you have a defeater of all your beliefs. That is, something that undermines all your beliefs. But this means that atheism is irrational. In other words, if atheism were true, there exists no reason to believe that our reasoning ability actually points toward truth. Under these circumstances, we can't trust our own minds. This is a huge problem for atheism, because if we can't trust the conclusions our own minds bring to us, then that would apply to atheism itself. Thus, in particular, we can't trust the conclusion that atheism is true. Hence, 
Their worldview tells them they can't trust their belief in their own worldview. I learned of Plantinga's argument from an article in True Reason, published in 2012, from an article entitled Atheism and the Argument from Reason by Lenny Esposito. The result of Plantinga's argument is enough to establish that the foundation of atheism, naturalism, is broken and is built on quicksand. Thus we have shown enough to confirm that the house of atheism is dilapidated. But the argument from reason is not just one argument, but several arguments. The argument is often advanced against materialism or determinism. For example, H. Allison discusses Immanuel Kant's argument in an article entitled Kant's Refutation of Materialism in the periodical The Monist in 1989. However, arguments for accepting theism and against naturalism were developed in the last century by the British Prime Minister Arthur Balfour in the 1930s and C.S. Lewis in the 1940s, in the third chapter of his book, Miracles. Arguments for God from reason can be traced back to works by G.K. Chesterton and Thomas Aquinas as well. Lewis gave an argument in the first edition of Miracles, published in 1947. This was criticized by Elizabeth Ann Scombe in her famous encounter with Lewis at the Oxford Socratic Club in 1948. And, as a result, Lewis substantially revised and expanded his argument in the second edition of his book, Miracles, published in 1960. I only have a copy of his first edition. So to evaluate his argument in the second edition, I will have to consult other analyses of his argument. Philosophers such as Victor Reppert and Alvin Plantinga have expanded on the argument from reason and credit Lewis as an important influence on their thinking. I will consult Victor Reppert's version of the argument from reason. I also recommend consulting an argument on YouTube from the website called Pocket Sized Apologetics in episode 63 and following, and an article on argument from reason in Wikipedia. I too would have had a problem with Lewis's argument in the first edition. Of what I have read of mere Christianity, I can see that Lewis leads the reader step by step in an orderly manner to his conclusion. But his argument in the third chapter of his first edition of Miracles is disordered, more like that of a scattergun presentation. Lewis's argument is prosaic. The drawback to that kind of presentation is this. It is difficult to distinguish premises from evidence supporting premises, and the conclusion is not clearly stated in the body of his argument. I think many people have to agree that Lewis is on the right track, 
but the sum total of what he says is somewhat confusing. His writing normally is so incisive and disarming to an opponent. His argument in chapter 3 has neither of those characteristics. It seems to me he rambles a lot. I believe that others have come to the same conclusion, and that is why many have attempted to refine his argument. Nevertheless, in the first edition, Lewis gives us a lot of material to chew on. I mentioned just one example. He says... All possible knowledge depends on the validity of reasoning. He adds, unless human reasoning is valid, no science can be true. And it follows that no account of the universe can be true unless that account leaves it possible for our thinking to be a real insight. A theory which explained everything else in the whole universe, but which made it impossible to believe our thinking was valid, would be utterly out of court. For that theory would itself would have been reached by thinking. And if thinking is not valid, that theory would, of course, be itself demolished. It would have destroyed its own credentials, it would have been an argument which proves that no argument is sound, a proof that there are no such things as proofs, which is nonsense. Technically speaking, validity and invalidity in logic, philosophy, or mathematics do not apply to reasoning or thinking, but rather to arguments. But when Lewis speaks of reasoning being valid, he was speaking in a conversational tone. What he likely meant is that knowledge depends on the correctness of reasoning. And reasoning is correct if the corresponding argument is sound. That is, the form of the argument is valid, the premises are true, and no term is used ambiguously. It might be better to use the idea of justified true belief. If the truth of one's belief is unjustified, this surely would make the belief a prime candidate for rejection. For example, many people would suppose that beliefs that are the products of our wishes cannot be justified. <clears throat> Why? Because our wishes are not a good index of the way things really are, and they are likely to produce false beliefs instead of true beliefs. What we wish for might be true, but the fact that we wish it were true does not, in general, make it true. In the book C.S. Lewis's Dangerous Idea, published in 2003, Victor Reppert analyzes Lewis's argument in the second edition of Miracles. The following argument occurs on page 57 of Reppert's book. Premise 1. No belief is rationally inferred if it can be fully explained in terms of non-rational causes. 
Premise two, if naturalism is true, then all beliefs can be fully explained in terms of non-rational causes. Three, therefore, if naturalism is true, then no beliefs are rationally inferred. However, naturalism is a belief itself. This means because naturalism is not rationally inferred, to believe naturalism is true is itself non-rational. In addition to this, according to Reppert, premise four, if any thesis entails the conclusion that no belief is rationally inferred, that it should be rejected and its denial should be accepted. Therefore, because the naturalist thesis leads to the denial of reason, Ruppert concludes, five, naturalism should be rejected and its denial accepted. To summarize, we cannot use reason to argue that naturalism is true because naturalism ultimately denies any and all rational grounds for belief. Rappert takes chapters four through six to fill in the evidence in favor of his argument. I don't have the time or space to do that, so I leave off giving supporting evidence for the separate premises of his argument. Therefore, I accept his argument as true. So now we should be convinced that the foundation of atheism, namely naturalism, is broken. Thus, I have shown that the atheistic alternative is wrong. Allow me to close today's program with a poem by Whittier. We search the world for truth. We call the good, the pure, the beautiful. From all old flower fields of the soul and weary seekers of the best, we come back laden from our quest to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.